Here's what's coming up on the Cold Popcast. It is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, but I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. It either gets basically lumped into this idea of like, you know, is he like evil or something like that? Because I think his, it, it seems like he just had a very sophisticated understanding about human psychology and utilized that. What's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Cold Podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Steve. And today we're gonna be talking about George Soros. Is he a humanitarian or is he an evil scientist? <laughs> <laughs> well, at the very least, he's not a scientist. Okay. <laughs> evil, let's leave that one in the air. Yeah, we, got, we got about 33% of that question figured out, not yeah. a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, really, the purpose of this episode is just to figure out like who George Soros is, kind of a little bit about his history, his background, and what kind of influence he has on the, on the current um, Western world, I guess. Uh, so just to start, George Soros was born in 1930. That makes him about 93 years old. Wow. Um, he's an older guy. Yeah. So he's really old and uh, really <laughs> rich. So he's got a lot going on. Sounds uh, like he might even have the secret immortality. Yeah. <laughs> he's living a long time. Yeah. He's, being got the, rich. he's got the fountain of youth somewhere. <laughs> he's just got it hidden in his property. Um, he's made around $80 billion in his t- entire lifetime. Wow. Yeah, That's and he a, actually has a nonprofit organization where he's donated about thirty billion to it over the past fifty years. Okay, so imagine the guy, tax break this guy must get. Yeah. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> so this guy gets money. He makes more money than some governments have made. Is so. he? Does he rank up there with like the top richest men in the world, or is it? You know, his isn't. Uh, is is it like he's made that over time, but he doesn't just have eighty billion? Yeah, he's made that over time. Okay. He doesn't have eighty billion liquid. He has probably like ten or twenty. Okay. So he's still up there in terms yeah, of like rich. Huge. Like he's making more money than we'll probably ever make. But yeah. you know, you know, maybe the show will blow up and we'll get. Hey, well, you know, I like hey, don't count yourself out, man. We're gonna <laughs> get there. Yeah. So let's get back. Let's <laughs> Bring get us back to the top. So basically, uh, you know, people actually question his character a lot. Um, he has been behind a lot of different social movements, like uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. They say he funded a lot of things. They say he funded like Antifa. Uh, there, there's basically like a lot of political movements or social movements that they say George Soros had some part that he played in it. Uh, sometimes it's conspiracy, but sometimes it's actually like verifiably true. Hmm. So you guys can kind of decide like how you feel about that, but we're just going to give you guys the facts about what we know about his history and what he's doing today. So, uh, just a little bit more about like kind of who he is. There's this clip, um, go to the beginning of this video, actually just start it from zero. I want to read you an article from LA Times. It says October of 2004. The title of the article is George Soros, the God who carries around some dangerous demons. Here's what he says in the interview. He says, I fancied myself as some kind of God. If truth be known, I carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, which I felt I had to control. Otherwise, they might get me in trouble. It is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. Are you ready? Here's how he finishes it. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Uh Today, we're going to learn more about George Soros. 
Yeah. So that's crazy. <laughs> with that being said, it's like, you know, I'm going to drop, like, if we were playing Connect Four, I would drop a token or whatever on the side of maybe he's an evil scientist. Yeah. 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 Because that's one point. I mean, that yeah. that's literally the mindset of like a person that wants to rule the world. Yeah. You so know, he basically, <laughs> he was saying, like, at first he questioned that he was God, but now he's embraced it. Yeah. Not only that, but now he feels like he's living it out, which, you know, yeah. I, it's very ominous statement because I'm just like, well, how? <laughs> you know what are you, like what are you doing yeah like what are you doing yes. uh, what, what kind of impact are you trying to have if you really believe you're god yeah you rich globalist what are you doing <laughs> like, that's, that's essentially what he's talking about yeah so george soros is what literally can be described as a globalist but um that pretty much just means he doesn't believe in borders he thinks that the world should be a whole nation mm-hmm. like the whole world should be one country effectively yeah um and a lot of people feel differently about that some people are nationalists where they prefer like a nation versus the global, the global what, sort of population what are some of the policies that he's uh that you know it's confirmed that he favors that leans towards like this globalization ideology that he has uh i know that he like he favors open borders he he favors like uh like unified currency uh like yeah digital currencies uh or not well yeah like a digital currency mm-hmm. basically like uh digital currencies are like the first step towards having like a unified currency mm. and then he also promotes things like diversity equity and inc- inclusion uh so not to say that diversity and equity and inclusion are technically bad things but yeah. as a but it's just kind of like a factor of globalization like naturally if you're leaning towards open borders that's going to be like a priority of like getting people to assimilate mentally to like the new structure right like we need to have the ability to say like okay this person has nothing to do with our culture Mm -hmm. they probably don't even understand your business but you better hire them yeah we need them in there (laughs) (laughs) like you have to offer them a job all right so now i have another little point that uh this is another thing like i just want you guys to continue building your argument maybe this makes you feel good about them maybe it makes you feel bad about them let's see the next video yeah understanding is is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. So a lot of people who didn't know. <laughs> so it's well, like, like the little evil smile. Yeah, he, he has a little evil. Like first he pauses and thinks about it. Yeah. And then he has like a little evil like yeah, a grin. little grin that just starts to form. <laughs> <laughs> he has like himself no. a little evil smile. Then he says, "No, not at all." Yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. what's interesting um, is he's uh, he's Jewish, right? He is a Jewish guy. Yeah. Okay. And this it, is in Nazi Germany. Yeah. So Nazi Nazi Hungary. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, because that was the thing. Because it's like basically uh, with the confiscation of like the. Because basically he was kind of working. Was he was he working with the Nazis or was he just doing something that just um, directly correlated to like the Jewish disenfranchisement at the time? So no, he was a Jew, but then his family changed their name and then pretended to be Christians. Oh yeah, so he was actually like hired by this guy who said he was like his godfather, mm-hmm. and then this guy had him basically collecting. Uh, property from Jewish people during mm. World War Two. Okay, so it, it was kind of like he was kind of operating undercover, like survival mode, essentially, because he had to, you know, maintain this identity so that he wouldn't be persecuted. Yeah. Uh, but now they ask him, like, retroactively, like, well, now knowing, you know, knowing all this information and having your identity, like, you know, does it affect you anyway today? And he's just like, no. Yeah, no, he's just like, I didn't, <laughs> not I at all. I didn't care at all. It was fun. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> the way he could disconnect himself. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what that means, but, you know, that's just kind of what he said. Yeah. Interesting. 
So he actually ended up moving to London later on, uh, you know, escaped the Nazis and all that good stuff. And he met this guy named Karl Popper. So mm. Karl Popper was a philosopher of science who became uh, Soros' mentor. He had a couple of different theor- theories um, in order for basically one of his theories was that in order for something to be false, um, uh, to be considered scientific, uh, it had to be falsifiable. Mm-hmm. So that meant that this basically the purpose of this was to distinguish between things that were scientific and things that were not scientific. So basically his idea, this Karl Popper guy, he says that something is scientific if you can prove that it is also falsifiable. Now, that doesn't mean that something is scientific if you can prove that it's not true. It just requires that you're able to come up with a secondary theory to why something is. If there is no secondary theory, then it is not falsifiable. Mm. So therefore, it is not scientific. Yeah. (laughs) But then it's kind of like, I feel like with that, you run into like a strange territory of like really having like really having ability to define something that's like as close to accurate, but because you can't prove an al- like, an al- like disprove an alternative. Um, it's like, if I said like, you know, the theory of gravity is like, there's enough evidence to support gravity a lot. But then if I propose the idea, like, well, what if it's not gravity? What if it's just a bunch of invisible hands, like pulling everything down, you know, right. that, that could falsify because like, well, you can't necessarily disprove that other one. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I'm like, I feel like that, that, adds a layer of complication to a lot of science that you could more or less infer at a point, but you kind of take that ability away with that being like, well, it's not scientific because I could propose something else. That's like, you know, very hard to disprove essentially. Right. Um, uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would assume it has to be slightly realistic. Trinity, you have something to say? It kind of reminds me of the, Oh, rock, paper, scissors, finger gun type thing. Like, right. You just throw another element in there. It's like, well, now beat this too. It's like I don't uh, think his mic on. I don't think so either. I didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah. I think there. I think there's got to be. <laughs> Hold on. Wait. Okay. Just I'll cut this. Click the button on Trinity's mic, or turn the the knob all the way up. It's mic six. That's mic six. Is there one? It's six? already up. Oh well, fuck it. Hiram's <laughs> not here. I don't know how to fix it. Sorry, Trinity. <laughs> Move over to the other one over there. Oh, oh yeah, that one's on. yeah. Yeah, just move to the Mayday. Oh, oh yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, just take it off the ring. <laughs> All right. This is hectic. Yeah. All right. Uh, do I just cut back in? Where yeah, we'll just yeah, throw just... we'll just throw it in like we'll just cut here yeah. and put your answer into this. So what you just said before. So it kind of just remind me of the um rock, paper, scissors, finger gun thing where like if you could just come up with something better or different then it automatically negates the first thing. Yeah. Then I have to like basically uh, tell you how the finger gun, it doesn't exist or why it's actually not effective against rock. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then that becomes a scientific theory. It's like that falsifiableness <laughs> of it. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, finger gun, not going to work. Right. Cause that's just your hand and I can break it with a rock. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, Do you think that it would, but- do you think you know it's a little off topic but you think that inspire like competition like too much competition in the scientific community where people are just going to be like essentially presenting alternatives just to disprove someone rather than to prove uh like an actual thing well the objective is of it isn't actually to prove any type of theory the objective is it of it the objective of it is actually to prove whether something is scientific or non-scientific so it's like you could say i have a soul Mm. right can you scientifically prove that you don't or that you do you can't. 
Yeah. You can say you have a soul, but there's no real way. There's no like way to say like, oh, well, that's not your soul doing it. That's something else doing it, I guess. Okay. So it's yeah. just like a barometer or a measuring of how scientific something is. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. So that's like the core of George Soros's beliefs. That's like one of the main theories that his whole process thrives off of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said this himself. So this isn't like just me making stuff up. This is some things. Uh, these are some, these are some things that he actually said. So uh, and then one of the other theories that he had was that um, history unfolds under predictable laws and patterns, and those patterns actually influence the world history. So like the way that world history unfolds is based on specific patterns, mm. right? It's not like oh, well, things just are all random and things just happen. There's actual right. patterns to how history unfolds usually. Like, history repeats itself. That's what Yeah, I was going to say, like, like if that's the case, then, you know, it's kind of like, it almost makes uh, time and, uh, you know, things seem very predetermined because if humans operate off patterns, you know, eventually you can essentially predict what's coming next. Right, mm. exactly, yeah. So uh, this popper guy, he promoted freedom, democratic governance, flexible changing economic structures, and he believed that all knowledge is tentative and subject to re- revision in light of new information. So that's where that idea of like false ab- falsifiability comes into question, right? Mm-hmm. This guy basically mm-hmm. believes that if you can say, if you get new quote unquote evidence, then the truth can change. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he's saying. So let's actually see this next clip and uh, get a little bit more about what um, he was thinking at that time. Cool. In regimes such as communism and fascism, it was about replacing you with individual freedom, democratic governance, and a flexible, changing social and economic structure. This is what he wanted to do. Number two, fallibilism, the belief that all knowledge is tentative, provisional, and subject to revision in light of new evidence. This influenced Soros' investment strategy, and he always talks about the fact that he was ready to adjust his positions if the facts changed. Number three is critical thinking. So Soros adopted this in his investment strategy, where he was often willing to go against conventional wisdom, but also in his philanthropic activities, encouraging open debate and discussion. And last but not least, humanitarian efforts. This has significantly influenced Soros' philanthropic efforts, which has focused on civil society education and human rights around the globe or at least that's what he claims to focus on so while he yeah so those are basically all the things that he sort of focuses on in his uh main efforts like in the world like in changing things and being a like person that moves the world forward i guess Mm -hmm. um at least you know like like the guy just said i mean that's what he says that he prioritizes but that sort of like now I'm almost on the other side a little bit, like where it's like, okay. is he a bad guy? You know, yeah. because he's focusing on like critical thinking, mm-hmm. debate, you know, things that will actually that I believe actually would improve the world. Right. So like if you go off of what he's actually saying, then he actually sounds a little bit like a good guy. You know. Yeah. So. I mean, it, it seems like he has an interest in like global progress and like progressive ideas. You know, where it's like, you know, human unity. Uh, you know. Uh, a world where businesses kind of collaborate and stuff like that. It, it, you know, he, he wants to drive, seems like he wants to drive the world in a certain direction of progress, essentially. Right. Um, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. I think the part where it, it kind of gets um, either construed or it either gets basically lumped into this idea of like, you know, is he like evil or something like that? Because a lot of the foundation of what he wants to drive that movement is deeply entrenched in an idea of control and centralization yeah manipulation and, yeah and then you you know didn't he say something about like not um having pretty much he doesn't agree with like a democratic society yeah because it um uh how'd you say it well because a democratic society is self-correcting basically. right like he thinks that a democratic he thinks that a society should be corrected by the people running the society rather than it being self-correcting like right you know, like like 
like economics basically like mm-hmm. you know the market will correct itself once you know i don't really know how that whole theory works but yeah. people say the market will correct itself and i believe that it's something like you know people won't uh if people don't have money they won't be able to spend money so the market's eventually gonna have to correct itself right i think that's a, and i think that kind of is driven by the idea like how the free market works like once there's a need for something right. uh that something's going to come along to correct that need like mm-hmm. naturally you yeah. know if, if it's going to continue this needs to change therefore some something will come in will manifest in society to change it but his his ideology is kind of against that where he's like well there you know things would be more efficient and run more correctly if you had like a centralized power right. that can make these changes without there having to be like you know and i think with that there's like an idea where you wouldn't even have to have a problem occur for correction if you have someone driving the ship right you know and um i think the only thing that kind of comes off as evil or controlling is this because it essentially combats the idea of like um you know public freedom in terms of discourse and you know people kind of choosing their own destiny his is more aligned with you know we establish an idea and someone is in control of like getting to that you know whether people agree or disagree with it or not like you know whether it's contention or not, there's like the market is controlled by something centralized, I think is his idea. Yeah, and I agree with that too. I, I think that's pretty much what he's going for. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you put the backdrop of him believing that he's God. Yeah, like when you say, <laughs> like I said, you take that idea and you put it to someone who literally said, like, I feel like I'm God. Like that yeah. that, that could come off a little bit like, you know, evil, mad, you know, oh, scientist. Yeah. I want to rule the world type, you know? Yeah, like a Yeezus type. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I feel like if Yeezy had like an IQ, like he's probably smart artistically, but if he had like a, let's say he had an IQ for robotics of like 200, uh, he probably would turn into like a mad scientist. Right, he probably would have came up with a Neuralink before Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah I feel like Kanye has like, he has either, <laughs> the Kanye has the exact psychology of someone who's either going to be like a really great creative or like, you know, the like the next genocide. <laughs> like, <laughs> from, like, first he does that. Yeah, yeah he could, he's going to create massive change. It just, how he grows up is going to kind of which direction he goes. Right, yeah. He can't be in Nazi Germany. I know I know that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Those no. things are going to turn really bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, George Soros, if you guys didn't know, he was actually one of the best money managers between 1970 and 2000. Uh, he was able to get, like, an average rate of return of 30%, which is actually enormous. Mm. So when people invested their money with him, they got basically a 30% return on all of their investments. And that's average. So it's, like, usually... You know, you're talking yeah, about could more have been than more. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. could have been way more. Could have been somewhat less, but you know, on average, thirty percent. That's good. Now, when you look at like a like a like think about a savings account, the return is literally like 05 percent, <laughs> right? <laughs> so a thirty percent return is huge. Um, now let's actually see one of the other theories because these two theories actually build into uh, the next topic I wanted to talk about. Let's look at both. Number one, the theory of fallibility is a concept stemmed from the philosophical understanding that it's impossible to achieve perfect knowledge. In other words, humans are inherently flawed in their understanding and judgment. The theory is mainly used to explain the limitations of human comprehension and decision-making in complex systems like economics. This fallibility is often magnified by cognitive biases, incomplete information, and the emotions of the individual. And the second theory was the theory of reflexivity. And here's what reflexivity is. It's the idea that people's perception and beliefs influence their decision-making, which in turn impacts the state of the world, changing the fundamentals that they are trying to understand. This then further alters their perceptions and beliefs, creating a continuous reflexive 
feedback loop. He openly talks about how he used some of these philosophies to actually manipulate the markets in his favor, make billions of dollars. We'll, we'll look at a couple of the times he did this, but he said this once in his book. This is what makes propaganda so effective because the complexity of the world we live in exceeds our ability to understand it. Confronted by a reality of extreme complexity, we are obligated to resort to various methods of simplification. Pretty wild. Right, you Sharp. So basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, like humans reflexively have to simplify things in order to understand them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because our knowledge is so limited, we can't understand everything. So we simplify them. And uh, that's why propaganda works so well. But knowing that he used those theories to make billions of dollars by kind of predicting how markets would actually act. Which is genius, you know. Yeah. I can't say it's not a genius thing to do. Oh, it's smart. Uh, but when you start applying that to like social movements and people and things, then it might get a little bit more iffy. Yeah, right? I, that's where you run into like the idea of like uh, propaganda. Essentially, like that's how propaganda gets spread. Because I think his it, it seems like he just had a very sophisticated understanding about human psychology and utilized that in order to further his own you know his own ideas and regime you know yeah. kind of make more money so it's like understanding how people react to certain market like how people react to information in the market you know you could essentially uh scope a message you know package it in a way that is very like simplified and you know either use that to like sway a narrative or to sell something to people and that you know is more digestible right and with that knowledge he could actually do it more efficiently too so he can mm -hmm. actually achieve more while spending less money, yeah. right? So he might not have as much money as like Bill and Melinda Gates or something like that, but he has more probable not like, you know, Ben Gates is more of a, like a scientist type, like a nerd type almost. Yeah. While George Soros is more like a- Did you say uh, Ben Gates? Bill, did I say Ben Gates? You said Ben Gates. I'm oh, like, hey, who's yeah, Ben? Yeah, Bill Gates. Whatever. Okay. Sorry, yeah, Bill He's Gates. He's got that much money. Yeah. Bill. Well, uh, no, Bill Gates is more, I think Bill Gates is worth like $80 million or something like that. 80 billion, I think. 80 billion, yeah. yeah. I think he's worth oh, like 80 Bill billion. Gates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, George Soros is worth maybe 10 or 20, but he spends uh, a lot of money on like progressive campaigns. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, he put $24 million, $27 million into the campaigns to beat George Bush. Yeah. Uh, of course, he lost. But just understanding that, you know, you can have that much of an influence uh, against a political candidate, especially one running for president. It's like if he uses that idea of like reflexivity where he like makes a simplified campaign, like um, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe he could, maybe he actually donated to... Um, who was uh who's the guy that was a man bear pig on South Park? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Al Gore. Al Gore. Yeah. Maybe he had donated Al Gore and actually helped him with that whole like you know going green type you know nonsense at that time. Like it was pretty yeah. nonsensical at that time. No, I'm just laughing because it's like it's like you're trying to figure out how to remember Al Gore. <laughs> like man bear. Pig. I think the funny part is that I, I I was like, oh, obviously Al Gore. Yeah, Al Gore, of course, <laughs> exactly. The guy that ran for president and was man bear pig. Yeah, fault man bear pig on South Park. Yeah. Um. And then also, so he's donated $50 million a year in the past couple of years to influence colleges. Uh, so basically, like, he's using his money as, like, a means of gaining influence, which I guess anybody with money is going to do that. Right. But it's just, like, what kind of influence is he trying to uh, achieve? True. You know? Yeah. So. Okay. Sounds like he's playing chess. Well, yeah. let's, uh, let me ask, guys, what do you think? Evil or humanitarian who uh, has positive ideas for the future? Well, I would say... I mean, I always like the idea of you can be both at at once. So it's like, yeah. maybe he's evil because he's manipulative, right? He's uh, predicting the way people act and taking that and leading them down a pathway that leads to whatever outcome he wants. 
Yeah. You could definitely see that as evil, but you know, doing humanitarian things kind of leans him to the good side. So it's like the mix of both. He's probably a mix of both, but he probably yeah. leans towards a certain thing. And I feel like his actions will probably reveal that. He I would sound- say. I would say. Oh, sorry. No, my bad. I was just gonna say he sounds cocky to me. He's just like, <laughs> you don't know you need this, and we're. we're I'm just gonna use. Um, um, propaganda because obviously you're too dumb to take your medicine and uh, and understand. So we're just gonna trick you into knowing the truth and yeah, you know, basically like he just thinks he's so smart that he can't. <laughs> he thinks he's so cool. Yeah, he just thinks he's so <laughs> smart he can't even like warn people that there's danger coming. He just has to trick you into, yeah. you know, that type of stuff. Like, yeah, I can see him having the mentality of like, I know what's best for mankind. You know, so, if you like, vaguely describe him, he kind of like he sounds very familiar. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if you what if you actually uh, had a child that was going to a school where, you know, that the guy who is basically funding a lot of the programs at the school uh, is pretty much has a God complex and like you mm-hmm. don't know what he wants your kid to think. But mm-hmm. would that would that be like a, a deal, like a deal breaker for you for that school? Oh, um, happy for your kid to just go to that school. No, not necessarily. I probably would just be happy for him to go to school. I wouldn't think too much because I mean, at that level, I mean, he probably has influence over a couple schools, so it's just kind of like, um, that that's kind of like something operating at a level that I couldn't really affect. So it's like all I know, I have to send my kid to a good school. Is this a good school? So I would just kind of like, so it just, just has do to be that. A good school. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyone else got any closing thoughts on this one? Yeah. Um, I, I guess my last thing at least would be, uh, you know, I think he's just, you know, I think good and evil is very subjective in nature to an extent. And I think he's just a guy that's got his own ideas of how to like draw, get where he wants to be. And he just happens to have gathered, uh, you know, or gained the power to kind of like drive, drive that. So he's just kind of like, you know, I think he's just motivated by his own self-interest to an extent. And he has this idea of how he wants the world to run and, He's one of those lucky people that has the ability to, you know, make a a substantial change towards that direction than most people would. Right. I feel like any person that, like, you know, had the amount of influence he's gathered would, to some extent, exhibit qualities of, like, manipulation or, you know, would would in some way, you know, want to exert that influence, you know, towards their own narrative. So I don't think it's anything out the realm of what a person would do. Yeah. And earlier I wanted to even say, like, well, is he good? Is he evil? Or is he just human? You know, because like most humans are probably gonna, <laughs> yeah. most most humans are probably going to end up trying to like exert their influence if they had that kind of power. Like That's if they true. had the ability to do so, they're going to think like, well, you know, obviously not most humans are going to be like, oh, I'm God. <laughs> but <laughs> most humans are going to say, hey, if I have the power to affect change in the world, then I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, if the change is positive or negative, that depends on the person. But overall, I think George Soros probably isn't like completely evil. He probably has good intentions. Uh, but he also is probably very controlling like, yeah. and uh, trying to just influence things in a direct way. Like Thanos. Just like Thanos. I'd say he's like a Thanos. Yeah, Thanos right? wasn't a bad guy. He had, yeah. he had good plans for the universe. You know, it just so happens that a couple people have to die. But I mean, <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. So uh, basically, that's the whole episode, guys. Thanks for watching, man. Uh, this uh, podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Rumble, all platforms where video is available. And you can actually uh, find us on Patreon, too. For $5 a month, you get the entire catalog of My Black Friends podcast. Uh, that's a show that we still do that was very funny. Uh, it is a comedy-based show about hour-long episodes with nonstop laughter. So make sure you check it out. Uh, Trinity, go ahead and end us off with a nice bite. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right, thanks for Peace. watching. Let's yeah. out of here.